Yep, chapter 13, we're going to be, this is the last couple verses, last few verses of chapter 13, and then we'll be in 14. Woo! We're making a way. All right. That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah, we, we started Luke uh, November of uh, last 2020. Yeah. All right. Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. At that time, some Pharisees came and told him, Get out of here. Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, you go tell that fox. Look, I'm driving out demons and performing healings today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will complete my work. Yet it is, yet it is necessary that I travel today, tomorrow, and the next day. Because it is not possible for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. See, your house is abandoned to you. I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, we come and gather in your name here this morning to hear your word and Lord, to, to, to hear what you are saying, to hear what your spirit is saying to us, your church. Lord, move in, in this time when, through your Holy Spirit to open up your words to us that we may live it, that we may engage with you and, me, and that we may give you glory and truly say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> So I'm inside of my, my sermon here this morning, do not fear, stay faithful. I love the phrase, safety second. When you think about safety first, you won't do anything challenging. You won't go and climb Mount Everest. You won't go hunting. You won't go hiking. You were just talking about this, this, that this morning about how they're talking about taking grizzly bears off the endangered, endangered species list. I'm like, Finally! Yay, put a season on those suckers because they're way too plentiful. They're killing way too many people every year. If, but here's the thing about adventure, right? We've been talking about this for over two years now. What is adventure? It takes risk, challenge, uncertainty. It always has that element of reward. It's a challenge. It, it, it takes risk. It takes safety second. If we thought safety first, we would never do anything challenging or risky. We would never have any adventures whatsoever, whether it be in the wilderness or whether it be in our lives, whether it be taking that chance to start that business, whether it be taking that chance to form that relationship or to reconcile that relationship or to go to someone who's offended you or, or that you've offended and say, I am sorry, I was wrong. Being willing to say I was wrong. Repentance and, and, and metanoia, changing your mind and reconciliation, living the way that God has called us to live is not safe. To live bold lives of certainty in Him. Because life itself is sacrificed on the altar of health and safety. This narrative of fear in our culture around us about everything, not just that virus which shall not be named, but everything in life, Socioeconomics, to politics, to relationship, to religion, to fear of China, to fear of Russia, to fear of this and that, and fear, 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 fear. Locking down, lockdowns, more lockdowns. 
How has Satan locked up your life? <laughs> Ask yourself that question. In this last season of life, how has Satan and his enemy and his, his followers locked up your life? What is God's desire for people, for you, for God's people? To live free. To live to love. To live in a way that gives him glory and honor. And the very opposite of that is living a life of fear. A life that, that is, is afraid to engage in things that are not safe. If you don't, basically the culture is saying, if you don't join me in my fear, then you hate me. You have no compassion. You know, the, the Christian version of this is, and you're not acting like Jesus, because he would care how I feel. The social narrative of fear everything, fear everywhere around us. But that leads us to our time. Stay faithful. Don't fear man. We will not bow to the gods of man. We will worship the God of Israel. Wasn't that fun singing Hebrew just now? <laughs> I just found that. I, just, I literally just found that song this morning by accident. I was like, this is an awesome song. And so as we get started here this morning, I want to, get, I want to talk a bit about Herod. And we're going to talk about this, this fox that he talks about here. Let's go through our passage here this morning as we get into this. So Herod, the one that he's talking about here, this is Herod Antipas. And he is the ruler of the, the yellow. It says encompasses Galilee, like the northern part, and also that which was east of the Jordan River in the southern area, just beyond Jericho and Jerusalem today. Um, and so, and then all those different other areas, like the white areas, are Roman. So just the, the regular white is Roman, then the three colors. The green is Phil, you know, Philip, Caesarea Philippi, um, uh, Herod Antipas, and then Herod uh, Archelaus, Archelaus uh, in the south. Um, but basically, this was his territory. Uh, however, Jerusalem did not belong to Herod Antipas, the guy we're talking about here. Um, but Jesus um, <clears throat> boldly gets into it uh, with the messengers to send a very powerful message back to him. Basically, it's the Jesus' way of giving him the middle finger and saying, go tell this to Herod. Screw you. <laughs> Forget you. You know, when he says, let's just talk about Jesus and Herod Antipas for, for just a second. Um, it's interesting to see, as we'll see next week, that, you know, that Pharisees weren't all against Jesus. They, they kind of sometimes get a bad rep. Like all the Pharisees were bad. Every single Pharisee was terrible. Jesus condemned all of them. Well, A, Jesus used one after his ascension, Paul, Saul, then who would therefore be called Paul, for his great ministry. We see another Pharisee, Nicodemus come to faith in Jesus. We see a member of the Sanhedrin ruling class of all of the, of the Jewish rulership in, in, uh, in uh, Joseph of Arimathea come to faith in Jesus, which we'll, we'll see later. But these, these Pharisees, what did it say? These Pharisees, at that time, some Pharisees came and told him, warned him. There were some Pharisees that wanted to help Jesus. There were several Pharisees during the life of his ministry that, as we can see here, that were coming to faith in him, that were following him. It says later that some were following him at, you know, in secret, 
out of fear of the Jews. They would come to maybe, you know, like, like uh, Nicodemus did in, in, the, in the, the dark of night to come and talk to him. They're following him, but at a distance. Uh, in fact, we will, we'll discover that several of these guys um, were, were wanting to help him, as it says here in this passage here. What does Jesus have to say? Go and tell that fox. Do we have another word in the English language that has some you know, very colorful language when it comes to um, animals? Yes. Female dogs, per, for, yes. for, by any yeah. chance? Yeah. This is what we're talking about here. This was not, he was not being polite in this passage. Jesus has some colorful language. Um, and the, that's why I was telling my kids, there's no, there's no such thing as bad words. There are strong words that have their right place. Jesus had right place for this. You go and tell that fox. No, you know, for them, it was, it was this, it was a contemptuous term for a person without honor. Uh, someone who was devious. Um, often used in regard to one who causes calamity and chaos. We see this figure in Song of Solomon. This, the fox imagery is this, this fox, these, these, the foxes have made their way into the vineyard and they're just causing a ruckus. They're eating everything, just destroying everything. And he's talking about these things that enter into our marriages and destroy our marriages from within. And so this imagery of foxes are these devious and and just causing chaos and calamity in our lives. The things that we allow to run amok in our lives. And that's what's, what Jesus is saying, is that you, Herod, have been given freedom and authority to run amok amongst Israel. And just destroy them from within. You are ruining God's people. You, this little you know, impotent puppet king of, of Rome, are causing strife among the people of God. We'll later see that he dies um, after the, you know, these people gather together in this amphitheater in Caesarea Maritima on the coast. Oh, my picture's gone. Um, <laughs> they, you know, they, they get together and he, you know, he gives a speech and they start saying, these are the words of a God and not man. And because he doesn't rebu rebuke them, God strikes him dead. And he, and he dies of worms, parasites in him. It's kind of fun. I got to go to, I got to, go to the, that amphitheater. I was like, oh, this is weird. <laughs> it's kind of fun. But, so, as Jesus is saying, it is not possible for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. And the next words are Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He says it three times in a row. It's almost like, you know, there's no, it's not possible for any prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. Which we'll get to that in a second. But then, then it's like it almost strikes a thought. He's like, oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. That reminds me, you city that kills all of its prophets, right? This is basically Jesus giving them, a, you know, giving Herod a heads up. He's, again, articulating his trajectory and the final climax or destination of his earthly ministry. Um, Jesus basically is saying he's planning on ignoring the death threats of, of Herod, of this, and like I said, impotent puppet king, Herod. And letting Herod know his plans to go to Jerusalem. And maybe this is why Herod went down to Jerusalem for the time of the Passover. Because he knew that Jesus was going to be there. Because as it says later, that Herod has, had been wanting to hear Jesus. He had been wanting to have a conversation with this Jesus. As we learn here, so that he could kill him. 
you know? And so, <coughs> but it's interesting also to see, you know, he hated John, and he beheaded him, he killed him. He hated Jesus and wanted to kill him. And then what happened after his crucifixion? He and the guy who did kill him, Pilate, ended up becoming best friends. BFFs, which we'll talk about in a few months. But Jesus had, I imagine, you know, Jesus had this mission in his life. And he is determined to accomplish it. Jesus had this mission. He knew the mission. He knew the message and he knew his mission. Jesus knew what his life, what his purpose in life was all about. He knew his identity. He knew who he was. He knew whose he was. And he knew how he was supposed to accomplish his mission in this world. And he was determined to do it. And he's not afraid of this little impotent puppet king. Do you know your purpose? Have you spent time with God and actually asked him that? God, what is my purpose? It's never too late to discover your purpose. I love the imagery of, of uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. He wrote down one time, you know, in, in, when, in college, I think he was teaching, uh, he just wrote down a little, little, little sentence. In the hole in the ground, a hobbit lived. There lived a hobbit. I had no idea what a hobbit was. But it wasn't until he had retired as a professor that he wrote the entirety of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. He taught for years and had cultivated and put all this stuff together, but it wasn't until he, after he retired in his older age that he wrote the, thi- the one thing that his entire life is known about, which is The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. It is never too late to discover your purpose. It's never too late for God to use you for your purpose. You've not gone too far off the deep end and strayed away for God to fulfill your purpose or even to simply show you his purpose for you. Maybe living your entire life, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, you are not too old to fulfill your purpose. You are not too old for God to show you the real purpose that he created you for. Think about when Jesus was born. Simon, you know, Simeon, Simon, the guy when he was born, who he was there entering the temple and he got to see the Messiah because God had told him, you are not going to die until you see the Messiah. He was very, very old. Anna, who's like 80-something, probably like close to 100 years old, got to see the Messiah. That was the purpose of their life was to be in the Bible glorifying and showing the divinity of Christ. That was their whole purpose. What is your mission? What is your purpose? And your mission is how you accomplish that purpose. How do you live a life in order to give God glory? Like the man that was born blind in the book of John. Who sinned, this man or his parents? No one but so that God would receive the glory. Lazarus, 
Lazarus lived and died. He, this will not end in death, but this happened so that God would get the glory. What is your purpose? What, have the, what are the things that have been going on in your life? What, has, what, what mistakes have you made? What mistakes have been done against you? What things has God been orchestrating and using for good so that he could reveal your purpose and, and so that we could give him glory? Being born blind sucks. It's not good. But God used it for good. Being an addict for years is not good. But God can use it for good and for his glory. Jesus was unfazed by these threats. The early church was unhindered by Saul, as it says in in Acts chapter 12, breathing threats and death against the Lord's disciples. Why? Because they knew their purpose. And nothing in this world would stop them or hinder that purpose. Let's talk about Jerusalem for a second here. Jerusalem means the city of peace. Uh, the word Yaru and Shalom. So city or dwelling of peace. Jerusalem has a very long uh, history of turning or uh, rebelling against the Lord. Uh, if you read the first part of the, the Bible, the, the big section, you'll see that this is all about the very colorful history of God's people in Jerusalem. Um, <coughs> and they're accepting and rejecting and living and walking with the Lord and abandoning him and and going back and forth for thousands of years. Killing God's people and his prophets, refusing the way of peace in the city of peace. Accepting or rejecting Jesus is accepting or rejection of the Lord himself. And this is, this is Jesus' you know, topic here. He's going to Jerusalem where he will be rejected. Prophesied about this in the very first chapters of this, of this book, Luke chapter 1 and 2. You will, bring, you will cause the rise and the fall of many, and this will be a sign that will be rejected. Jesus will be rejected in Jerusalem. Jesus' plea is for Jerusalem and all of Israel to change their minds, to metanoia, to shift direction, to accept his way, to accept his way, his life, his way of peace in order to avoid the disaster that we've been talking about for over a month now that, that, that Luke is getting up to. He's building up to this climax. He's building up to this. And Jesus is, is, saying, is giving this great warning. Turn or burn. Turn, stop this, accept my message, accept my mission, accept that I am the Messiah. This is the way of peace, because if you reject me, you will be destroyed. Not just as a sinner in need of grace, but as a city and a culture in need of their king. That's what we're talking about, that Jerusalem was eventually destroyed because they did reject Jesus. You know, Titus came in and and set up the the ramp against Jerusalem, the siege ramp. Stormed into Jerusalem, starved them for months, 
And the, I mean, the battle went on for, I think, about a, about a year or two and completely annihilated everyone in Jerusalem. Even the ones that fled out to the desert to this fortress called Masada. They, again, built a siege ramp in, over, over the course of about six months. They got up there and realized that all of them had killed themselves. So every single Jewish person, the entire Sanhedrin, Caiaphas and Anna, Ananias, Annas, Annas, Ananias, the, 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 the chief priest, Annas, Caiaphas' father. Like, they all died. Every single person that is in this crucifixion narrative, which we'll get to in a few months, is dead, was dead, was killed by the Romans, or they killed themselves because of the Romans, because they rejected Jesus. That's what we've been building up to in this. What did Jesus say? Your house is abandoned. The very center of your culture, of your religious life, the temple itself, is abandoned. It's interesting that he doesn't say God's house. It had not been God's house for 500 years. God's presence was not there. Remember, after, it, after God's presence left in the first temple, it didn't come back when they rebuilt it. Until Jesus walked through the door. And then the presence of the Lord came back to his temple. But did it stay? No. Upon his death, his, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. This isn't just to give everyone access to the Lord, but that this basically is the sign that the Lord, the Lord is for everyone and the Lord has access to everyone else. That the, the presence of the Lord has left the building and is now in his people, dwelling in his people. We, the church, are the kingdom of God. We are the house that God has chosen for his name, his presence, and his spirit to dwell. That is who we are. That is who you are individually. That is who we are as Shift Church. That is who we are as the capital C church in the Gallatin Valley, in Montana, in America, in the world. There's no other name by which men can be saved except for Jesus Christ. There's no other way to the Lord God except for Jesus Christ. We are the new Jerusalem. We are the, the city, the, the dwelling place of God's peace, of his shalom, of his flourishing. Because where the presence of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the presence of the Lord is, there is shalom and flourishing. And this new Jerusalem cannot be destroyed. The gates of hell itself cannot, shall not, ever prevail against the church. No matter how much they try to kill it, marginalize it, silence it, squander it, persecute it, kick it off of social media platforms, put it in Facebook jail. And this gives us leeway to, the, to uh, what Jesus had described himself as. Jesus is our heavenly hen. 
Jesus' own calling is to become the chicken, the hen, and protect all who would come to him to avoid the disaster that would befall Jerusalem, Israel, and the temple. It's interesting, there, there, there's, uh, if you know much about farming, uh, there are times where uh, just God created chickens innate with this innate uh, instinct um, that, you know, a fire comes through a barnyard and, and he's created them in such a way, like their, their bodies, that there's actually been pictures and studies where there's been a fire that's, that's gone through a farmyard and the chicken will gather all of her hens and cover them and they'll come upon this barnyard and they'll see the, 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 the burned carcass of this mother hen and they'll lift the wings and all these chicks run out. Because there's the instinct of protection from the wave of fire. But also something physiological, you know, f- physical about the chicken and her wings and, her, and, and feathers and stuff that is able to withstand the heat of a fire. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Is that I took the fire. I'm here to protect my people that I love. And I wanted to do that for you, Jerusalem. But I'm going to do that for my church now. And how did he do that? He took the full weight of the wrath of God on the cross. He took the whole burning, incinerating fire of the wrath of God for us so that we would be one of his chicks and live and have life. That's the whole purpose of the cross. Jesus is our heavenly hen. Until he says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Gentile pagans, us, people in this world, in this culture, in any culture that's basically ungodly. Gentile pagans receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, while the Jews, from whom our entire faith comes and you know, or stems from, at least, they all rejected the gospel and they perished. Accepting or rejecting Jesus himself is accepting or rejecting the Lord himself. Jesus is inviting. He's imploring. Not begging. He's just, he's yearning. He's burning. He's he's desiring to see, for, for, for them to see him, for people to see him as he truly is, the creator God of this universe, through whom he, he holds all things together by the word of his power. Do you see Jesus as your hope? Do you see Jesus as the one who gives you purpose, direction, blessing, fulfillment? He is the fulfillment of all of our hopes and dreams for eternal life, goodness, life and joy. Outside of Christ, we have nothing. Outside of Christ, we can do nothing. Outside of Jesus Christ, there is no true hope, no true purpose. 
And all the things in this life that we strive after are hollow. No matter how much they might give us momentary pleasure, they are hollow. But it's only Christ who is the, our hope of glory. Jesus cares far less about places than he cares about people. So when you, th- you think about that, so I'm, I want to build into this concept that when you hear him speaking of cities and geographical places in Scripture, um, he's really speaking about the inhabitants of that place, that city. Spaces and places are a holding place that can change depending on who is there. Right? Like this building. This building is the Boy Scouts of America Charter. So when they're here, this is the Boy Scouts of America headquarters for Belgrade every Monday night, right? It is the place that, that, that takes on the character. So when we are here, this becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit because we are living stones building up a holy house for God's presence to dwell. So Shift Church is not the building. Shift Church is not even the 501c3 nonprofit stat, you know, status. Shift Church is us. You, us, we are Shift Church. We are the church. We are God's people. (coughs) So listen to this, this passage. I want to center in on, on verse, um, where is it? Verse 12. But I, but as I kept reading this passage, i I just, I felt just led to read the entire passage in its entirety. So listen to this <coughs> as, as Israel would have, as, as God's people would have been listening to this as it was read out loud. Say, for instance, like in the synagogue. Listen to it as you're hearing from the Lord. And put yourself into that position that you are the one, you are the righteous and holy ones that he's talking about here. He says this, Listen to me, you who, you who pursue righteousness. That's you. Who seek the Lord. This is Isaiah 51. Oops, sorry. There you go. There you go. Sorry about that. Isaiah 51. Sorry about that. My bad. I forgot to go to that slide. It is right in the middle. <laughs> Uh, 15. 15. I'm sorry, 51. Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51. 51. 51. No, Isaiah 51. Chapter 51. Nope, keep going. Yep. You're good. So just listen to to these words as I read them. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut. And to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave birth to you. When I called you, he was only one. I blessed him and made him many. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and melodious song. Pay attention to me, my people, and listen to me, my nation. For instruction will come from me, and my justice for a light to the nations. I will bring it about quickly. My righteousness is near. My salvation appears, and my arms will bring, glo- will bring justice to the nations. The coasts and islands will put their hope in me, 
and they will look to be look they and they will look to my strength. Look up to the heavens and look at the earth beneath, for the heavens will vanish like smoke, the earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants will die like gnats. But my salvation will last forever, and my righteousness will never be shattered. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is, in, is my instruction. Do not fear disgrace by men, and do not be shattered by their taunts. For moths will devour them like a garment, and, war, and worms will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will last forever, and my salvation for all generations. We're included in that. Wake up! Wake up! Arm of the Lord, clothe yourself with strength. Wake up as in days past and in generations long ago. Wasn't it you who hacked Rahab to pieces? That was, that's a, a sea serpent, a myth, mythological sea serpent, not like Rahab and Jericho. Different Rahab. I just looked that up too. I was like, uh, what? <laughs> who, wasn't it you who hacked Rahab to pieces, who pierced the sea monster? Wasn't it you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the seabed into a road? For the redeemed to pass over. That's Moses and, and Israel splitting the Red Sea. And the ransom to the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing, crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee. I, I am the one who comforts you. Who are you that you should fear humans who die? Or a son of man who has given up like grass. But you have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. You are in constant dread all day long because of the fury of the oppressor who has set himself to destroy. Where is the fury of the oppressor? The prisoner is soon to be set free and will not die and go to the pit. And his food will not be lacking. For I am the Lord your God, who stirs up the sea so that it waves, its waves roar. His name is the Lord of armies. I have put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand in order to plant the heavens to found the earth and say to Zion, you are my people. That's us. We are his Zion the church. Wake yourself. Wake yourself up. Stand up, new Jerusalem. You who have drunk the cup of his fury from the Lord's hand, you, have, you, have, you who have drunk the goblet to the dregs, the cup that causes people to stagger, there is no one to guide her among all the children she has raised. There is no one to take hold of her hand among all the offspring she has brought up. These two things have happened to you. Devastation and destruction. Famine and sword. Who will grieve for you? How can I comfort you? Your children have fainted. They lie at the head of every street like an antelope in, the, in a net. They are full of the Lord's fury and re, the rebuke of your God. I listen to this suffering and, suffering and drunken one, but not with wine. This is what your Lord says. The Lord, even your God who defends his people. Look, I have removed from your hand the cup that causes staggering, the goblet, the cup of my fury, you will never drink it again. This is the cup that Jesus drank at the cross. 
I will put it into the hands of your tormentors and say to you, lie down so that we can so, lie down so we can walk over you. You made your back like the ground and like the street for those who walk on it. This is the promise that he will drink the cup of that fury, that he will drink that we may suffer no more and that we will have authority and to trample over the enemy. Not just that we will escape from the wrath of God, but that we will have authority over the enemy, death itself. This is the promise. This is the hope. Life everlasting. That we, his church, would be the new Jerusalem. That you would be citizens of the new Jerusalem. The people of God, the dwelling place for God himself. Not just one day when you die. Today. God has a purpose for you today. In his kingdom today. Starting right now in this moment, whether you've made a New Year's resolution or not, resolve this to know that you have a purpose from God. That he dwells with you. He dwells in you. And among us. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, that's us, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Jesus is our fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment of to all of our hopes and all of our dreams for life and joy. He is our peace. And he makes his church, our lives and our families, his city of peace. God's home is humanity. And where he makes his home, there is no death. There is no grief or crying. There is no pain. And there is no fear. So don't fear man. Or, and don't fear what man fears. Stay faithful to God. He is not a tool that we use in order to get fulfillment in life. He's not a, a thing that we choose. I'm going to put a, add some religion to my life to have hope. He is our hope. Not, he's not just something that we go to and pray to when we need him or feel like we need him and apply him to our lives to make us feel better. He, his very existence is the God of this universe who is hope, who is joy, who is peace always stay faithful draw near stay close walk with him keep in step with his holy spirit
and you'll know the Prince of Peace. You will know God and give God glory every day of our lives. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you, that you would open up our times with you when we study your word and as we walk with you during, during the rest of the week, Lord, that, we would, that you would draw near to us as we draw near to you in prayer, reading your word, gathering with, with your church, loving and glorifying you, Lord. Show us, God, your glory. Engage with us in a meaningful way to show us that you are our Prince of Peace, that you are God, that you are love. That we're no longer slaves to fear. We're no longer slaves to the things of this world, but we are children of God. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.